Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. This podcast is supported by your kind donations, and if you want to know where to donate via PayPal or join my Patreon, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. That's where you can donate to me, and I really appreciate your support because your donations are my only way of making a living right now. So let's get started. This is my first new podcast, all new podcast in over a year. I have been putting up the audio portions of the videos I do for YouTube on my podcast for a little while. But this is an all new thing. Uh, I am videoing it, so eventually I'll put it up on YouTube as a video, but it's going to start off life as an audio podcast. And I will put the text that I'm going to read on my Patreon page. So if you are a Patreon supporter at any level, you will be able to read along with Brad and, and read what I, uh, and what I am saying. What I decided to do is continue with what I had been doing in my books Don't Be a Jerk and It Came from Beyond Zen, which is to write uh, paraphrases in my own words of some of Dogen's pieces from Shobo Genzo, A Treasury of the True Dharma Eye, his 12th century work, which is the foundation of the type of Zen that I have been studying. So. Those of you who may not have read the books, uh, I'll give you just a little synopsis. I found a book a couple of years ago, or more than a couple of years ago, called God is Disappointed in You. I found it in a comic book store. And in it, a, a writer humorously rewrote the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, in his own words, and said the message of the, the Bible is God is disappointed in you. And I thought that was a funny idea, and I thought maybe I could do the same thing with Shobo Genzo. The problem with Shobo Genzo uh, and all of Dogen's writings is that there's two problems. One is that it is inherently difficult to understand what Dogen is saying, because Dogen is saying something that really hardly anybody else says, maybe nobody else really says it, at least in quite the way he does. So he's trying to come at a description of life, the universe, and everything in a way that is impossible to put in words, but he's doing it anyhow. So that's the that's one reason he's difficult to read. The other reason he's difficult to read is because it's 800-year-old stuff that was originally written in Japanese. So there's going to be a lot of cultural references that we don't understand and a lot of uh, poetic allusions that we don't quite get and, and just the oldness of the language and the fact that it has to be translated for us to understand it. Even Japanese people tend to read Dogen in what they call uh, modern, language, modern Japanese translations. My teacher uh, did one of those as well as an English translation. So what I have done, or what I'm trying to do, is to get rid of that second layer of obfuscation, the, the, the layer of old cultural things and, and just stuff that we, we can't understand because it's not, it's not part of our culture. So these allusions and, and references to stuff that, that most of us aren't familiar with, you know, old legends or uh, maybe even old Buddhist texts that we probably don't know about. So I'm trying to take away that stuff and leave the core of what Dogen is trying to say intact. So I don't present any of what I'm going to read right now or what I wrote in those two books as a translation of Dogen. This is not Dogen translated. This is Dogen 
reimagined, if you want to use a kind of a contemporary term. It's, it's Dogen as fed through my mind and coming out to you, and I'm trying to give you the, what I believe are the essential points of what he's trying to say, but free from some of the cultural baggage and whatnot that, that's accrued and in a more modern language and, and you know maybe a few jokes here and there. But I'm trying to give you exactly what I think Dogen is saying. So this particular passage, Bouchot, Buddha Nature, that I'm going to read uh, now, that I just completed it yesterday, it is the first chapter in volume two of the Nishijima cross version of Shobo Genzo. So uh, the first book I did of these Dogen rewrites was Don't Be a Jerk, and then when I decided to do a second one, I th that Don't Be a Jerk had, I, I just used what was in the first volume of the Nishijima Cross, that's my teacher, Gudo Wafu Nishijima Roshi, and his student, Mike Cross, their translation of Shobo Genzo, I did the entire first volume. So when I decided to do the second book, I looked at volume two, and it starts out with this chapter called Busho, and I flipped through and I go, oh my god, that's 31 pages, I'm never going to do that one, <laughs> I'll never get through that one. And I decided instead of going through book two, I was just going to pick my favorite chapters from the remaining uh, three volumes. So they're in just kind of random order. So that's why one reason anyway why I decided to do Busho, and also because I'd gotten some questions about what is the meaning of Buddha nature. So um, let me just read you the chapter first as I have rewritten it. But before I read you the chapter, I'll read you Nishijima Roshi's introduction from his translation of Shobo Genzo. So this is, this is how my teacher describes what you are about to hear. Uh, Busho, Butsu, that's the first character in the, in the two-character combination that forms the title of Busho. Butsu means Buddha, and Sho means nature. So Busho means Buddha nature. And by the way, here's a little uh, fun fact. Because I lived in Japan for 11 years and had to speak Japanese all the time, I get a little bit of a sense of these things that maybe you don't get if you just uh, translate. Uh, to me, Busho, uh, Buddha nature is a fine translation of it, and it's a standard translation, but it's also kind of like saying Buddha-ness or Buddhaistic or something like that. That's what that show, the, the suffix show conveys. It's the, the Buddha-ness of something. So Busho means Buddha nature. The Chinese characters read in Japanese as Busho represent the meaning of the Sanskrit word Buddhata, or Buddha nature. This was usually understood as the potential we have to attain the truth or as something which we have inherently and which grows naturally day by day. But Master Dogen was not satisfied by such interpretations. In his view, the Buddha nature is neither a potential nor a natural attribute, but a state or condition of the body and mind at a present moment. And, and I don't know if that's a typo or not, but I like the fact that he says at a present moment then, uh, better than uh, instead of um, at the present moment. So at any present moment. Therefore, he saw the Buddha nature neither as something that we might realize in the future, nor as something that we have inherently in our body and mind. From this standpoint, Master Dogen affirmed and at the same time denied the proposition we all have the Buddha nature. He also affirmed and at the same time denied the proposition we all don't have the Buddha nature. At first sight, these views appear contradictory. 
But through his dialectic explanation of the Buddha nature in this chapter, Master Dogen succeeded in interpreting the concept of the Buddha nature from the standpoint of action or reality. So that's what my teacher had to say about it. I have produced this uh, version that you're about to hear by relying mostly on Nishijima Roshi and uh, Mike Cross's translation of Shobogenzo, but I also looked at the Kosen Nishiyama translation and Kazuaki Tanahashi translation, and I looked at the original Japanese. So I'm, I'm looking at four things. This is why it takes so long to do it. So sentence by sentence, I'm looking at all four of these things. If, uh, if I see that the English versions all match up pretty much, I don't usually consult the Japanese because I figure, okay, I, I, I know what that is. One of the things Nishijima Roshi did when he did his translation was he, he made it so close to the Japanese that if you know Japanese already, you can kind of guess what it probably says in Japanese, and, and that was his intention, and that's pretty much true. So I often don't need to consult the Japanese, but sometimes I'll see passages where I'm like, oh, I don't know what the hell that means, you know, and then I'll consult the Japanese for those. And, uh, well, anyway, let me just read you this, and I'm just going to read part one. So I, I divvied this up into three parts. Like I said, it's 10 or 30 pages long, so I basically did 10 pages at a time. So what I'm going to read to you now is the first 10 pages. So strap on or strap in. Oops, I said something bad. Anyway, uh, there you go. Uh, and if you're looking at, at Patreon, as uh, I think I said already, you can read along with me on Patreon. And uh, here we go. Starts off with a joke that I couldn't resist, but here we go. Shakyamuni Buddha said, Dude, all living beings totally have the Buddha nature. The Buddha is always with them, and he never changes. And sorry, I'm going to stop and explain that, because uh, the reason I, I couldn't resist that joke is because this idea of totally have is uh, such a strong current running through at least the beginning of the, the essay, maybe all the way through to the end. And uh, I just thought totally have the Buddha nature was too funny to pass up, so... That's why that joke. Okay, so let's read it again. Shakyamuni Buddha said, Dude, all living beings totally have the Buddha nature. The Buddha is always with them, and he never changes. This is the wisdom of all enlightened ones. This is Dogen talking now. It has stood the test of time from when Shakyamuni Buddha first said it all the way until today. All the Buddhas teach the very same thing. The point of this saying is that all beings totally exist as the Buddha nature. It's like when Zen master Huenang, who is Daikan Eno in Japanese, said exactly this moment can never be expressed in words. When Shakyamuni Buddha says all living beings, he means everything there is, not just the kinds of beings we usually think of as living. In other words, total existence is Buddha nature, and we call that living beings. Inside and outside of living beings is the total existence of Buddha nature. When Bodhidharma first brought the Zen teachings from India to China and transmitted his understanding one-to-one -to, -one to each of his four students, this is what he transmitted. The total existence, which is totally possessed by Buddha nature, is not like existence as contrasted with non-existence. It's beyond any definition of existence that you can think of. 
It has nothing to do with mind, circumstances, essence, form, or anything like that. It's not just something that you can make happen through your own efforts. It doesn't just happen at random all by itself, and it's certainly not the result of miraculous powers. Saints and masters don't experience enlightenment in any of those ways. If total existence were the result of cause and effect, or were a random occurrence, then the abilities of the great masters and saints would be the result of cause and effect, or would be random occurrences. The entire universe doesn't have any dust that needs to be cleaned off. There is nobody here but you. And let me stop and give you some of the translations of that line. Nishijima and Cross have that as, The whole universe is utterly without objective molecules. Here and now there is no second person at all. Uh, Nishiyama's translation is, The entire world is free of dust, and here there can be no second person. And Tanahashi has, In the entire world there is no extra speck of dust. Buddha nature is immediate, and there is no second person. Uh, so I translated that, or trans... what did I say? Paraphrase that as, there is nobody here but you. Okay? Now we're back to Dogen, or Dogen as interpreted by me. But you, as an individual, can't notice this because it's not something that a subject can notice as an object. The whole universe has never been hidden, but that doesn't mean the universe you can perceive is the total existence I'm talking about. The idea that the relative world is total existence is totally stupid. Total existence doesn't mean there's some kind of original, essential existence somewhere other than here. Total existence is beyond categories of past, present, or future. It didn't just pop into existence right now. It has nothing extra at all. Everyday mind is the real truth. In total existence, it's difficult to find individual beings. But if you understand the real meaning of total existence, that's enlightenment itself. Lots of people, when they hear the words Buddha nature, think it means something like an eternal soul. This is because they haven't met a true teacher and they haven't even met themselves. They think that the activity of their physical brains is enlightened knowing and enlightened understanding. But whoever said that the Buddha nature includes enlightened knowing and enlightened understanding? It's true that those people who know and understand are called Buddhas, but Buddha nature is beyond knowing and understanding. Furthermore, when I describe those who realize and know as Buddhas, I'm not talking about the actions of the brain as being realization and knowing. For a long time now, loads of people have gone to India and come back to tell people that the actions of their brains are enlightened, knowing, and understanding. It's pitiful. You shouldn't listen to that nonsense. We Buddhists study the actions of the brain, but the actions of the brain are not the indescribable reality of the present moment. If we truly understand the actions of our own brains, that's real knowing and understanding then Buddha and nature are not abstractions. Buddha nature is always total existence. Total existence is Buddha nature. Total existence is not broken up into countless pieces, nor is it one single thing. It's right here, showing itself exactly as it is, so it's not big or small. But even what we call Buddha nature is not Buddha nature. 
because what we call Buddha nature is just a concept of Buddha nature and not the actual fact of Buddha nature. There is a group of people who say as follows, the Buddha nature is like a seed. As the rain of Dharma falls upon it, it grows and then bears delicious fruit and delightful flowers. This is just a bunch of sentimental fluff. If you must think of it that way, at least understand that the flowers and fruits they're talking about are each real instances of the real mind, pure and naked, just as it is. The causes of Buddha nature, if we must call them causes, sorry about Ziggy barking, are real things right here in the real world. Even if we take this sentimental view, the flowers and fruit are all the total existence of the Buddha nature, which is born and dies together with all beings. In the Mahaparinirvana Sutra, the Buddha says, To know what Buddha nature means, reflect real-time causes and circumstances, and when the moment arrives, it seems, Buddha nature stands before us and dances. Of course, I made that rhyme, and it doesn't really rhyme in the original, but I think that's close enough to what it actually says. Now back to Dogen. When he says to know what Buddha nature means, he isn't just talking about knowing it intellectually. He means practicing it, experiencing it, preaching it, and forgetting all about it. This kind of preaching, practicing, experiencing, forgetting, misunderstanding, not misunderstanding, etc., are the causes and circumstances of real time. Reflecting the causes and circumstances of real time is to use causes and circumstances to reflect real time. This is the meaning of the various enlightenment stories of the great masters of the past. Even so, you won't reflect it through any of the even so, you won't reflect it through any of the kinds of so-called wisdom or awakening that you find written about in sacred books. The reflecting that the Buddha is talking about in this poem is not a subject that reflects or an object that is reflected. It's not related to one who sees or that which is seen. It's not a matter of right reflection or wrong reflection. It's just reflection, exactly as it is, right here and right now. Because it's just reflection exactly as it is right here and right now, it is beyond subjective reflection or objective reflection. It can be called oneness, or it can be called real-time causes and circumstances. Yet it transcends any definition of causes and circumstances. It is Buddha nature exactly as it is. It's Buddha exactly as Buddha is. It's nature exactly as nature is. Lots of people have thought that the phrase that appears in this poem, when the moment arrives, means waiting for the right moment to come sometime in the future when Buddha nature stands before them. They think that if they practice a lot, there will eventually come a moment when Buddha nature becomes apparent. They say that until that time comes, even if they meet a teacher and make a lot of effort, the Buddha nature isn't standing before them. So they just live a so-called normal life and screw around aimlessly. Too bad for them. To know the meaning of Buddha nature means to really know the Buddha nature right here and now. Reflect real-time causes and circumstances means to know real causes and circumstances as real-time right here and right now. If you want to know Buddha nature, remember that causes and circumstances as real-time are exactly it. 
When the moment arrives means the moment has already arrived. How could you doubt it? Even when I doubt it, I just leave that doubt as it is. Doubt is the Buddha nature returning to me. Now that the moment has arrived, this is the Buddha. Now that the moment has arrived, this is the Buddha nature standing before me. It is self-evident. TLDR, there has never been any moment that was not the moment having arrived, nor any Buddha nature other than the Buddha nature that's at this very place right now. And by the way, that TLDR, he does this thing where he, he uh, says to sum it up or something like that at the end of some of these uh, passages. So that's what that means. Too long, didn't read. Back to Dogen. The ancient master Asvagosa said to his student, Mountains, the earth, and rivers, all of it are made. Samadhi and spiritual powers from it are conveyed. Again, I made it rhyme. It doesn't really mean the original. And I had to change it. It's usually mountains, uh, mountains, rivers, and the earth, but I had to change it around to make it rhyme. Anyway, here we go. Here's Dogen. Therefore, mountains, the earth, and rivers are all the ocean of Buddha nature. When he says all of it are made, he means that the very moment of making is itself mountains, the earth, and rivers. The actual real form of the ocean of Buddha nature is like that. It's not related with inside, outside, or middle. It's that indescribable moment when you look at mountains. In that indescribable moment, when you look at mountains, the earth, and rivers, you're looking at Buddha nature. To look at Buddha nature is to look at a dog's nose or a cat's whiskers. All of it are made means being totally made. We understand and we go beyond understanding when we know that all of it are made means having total faith and that being totally made is total belief in the real universe. Asvagosa says, Samadhi and spiritual powers from it are conveyed. Remember that samadhi and spiritual powers are all made of the Buddha nature. The spiritual powers he refers to aren't just magic abilities that are written about in ancient sutras. He's talking about real facts in the real world. Don't think of this stuff in terms of old Buddhist cliches. Even if you do think of spiritual powers that way, all things are part of the ocean of Buddha nature. They say that Zen master Daimon was born without a father and attained the truth as a child. They called him the guy who practices the truth by planting pine trees. One day, when he was very old, so the story goes, he met Master Dai Yi. Master Dai Yi said to him, I'd love to make you my Dharma heir, but you're too old. If you get reincarnated in this world, I'll wait for you. Old Master Daimon said he'd try. After Daimon died, he was reborn to a woman who abandoned him in the dirty water of a harbor. But a mystical spirit being watched over him and took care of him. When the boy was seven years old, Master Dai spotted him. He could tell by the shape of the boy's skull that this was not an ordinary kid. So Master Dai asked the kid his name. The kid said, I have a name, but it's not a regular name. Master Dai said, What name is it? The kid said, Buddha Nature. Master Dai said, You have no Buddha nature. The kid said, Buddha nature is empty. That's why you say I don't have it. 
Master Dai realized who the kid was and hired him to be his attendant. Later, Master Dai transmitted the Dharma to the kid, and the kid grew up and spent the rest of his life teaching Buddhism. Let's take a look at this conversation. When Master Dai said, What's your name? It was really a statement rather than a question. This is a profound teaching. Ancient masters often described themselves as a person of what country or a person of what name. Dai was saying, your name is what? In other words, he was saying that what the boy really was was beyond all description. It was like saying, I am that and you are that also. When the boy answers, I have a name, but it's not a regular name, he means existence is my name, but there is no regular name that can be given to existence. When the master says, what name is it? He is saying that the realization of what is true realization. This is the meat and potatoes of Buddhist teaching. The boy answers Buddha nature. His point is that this, that which is right here, right now, is Buddha nature. This what, this ineffable something, is the state of Buddha. Even calling it what, or saying it cannot be described, is still limiting it to things that cannot be described as opposed to things that can be described. But even when we are mistaken about it, it's still Buddha nature exactly as it is. It is always free of any description we can give it. Even a name like Mr. Jones is like that. It's not something received from your father or mother. It's beyond all intellectual concepts. The master says, you have no Buddha nature. He's really saying, it's up to you to determine who you are, but you have no Buddha nature because the reality of who you are is beyond being described as Buddha nature. Ask yourself this. At any moment, are we without Buddha nature? Or is it that when we first start learning Buddhism, we have no Buddha nature, but then we acquire it? Do we get Buddha nature when we get enlightened? Sometimes Buddha nature can be experienced in a moment of samadhi. When the Buddha nature becomes Buddha, is it without the Buddha nature? When the Buddha nature first decides to pursue the truth, is it without the Buddha nature? We should make a random object like a lamppost ask this question, or we should ask lampposts this question, and we should make Buddha nature ask this question. The words, you have no Buddha nature, can be heard even now, although they were spoken long ago. We should work on the meaning of this phrase. Don't waste a moment. This is how we pursue what it is to be ourselves. The boy says, Buddha nature is empty, that's why you say I don't have it. He's clearly saying that emptiness is not non-existence. It's not the denial of existence. It's the absence of anything other than existence. We don't say it's six of one or half a dozen of the other. We say it's empty. The kid doesn't call it empty because it's void or because it doesn't exist. But because the Buddha nature is emptiness, he says he doesn't have it. This emptiness is beyond the emptiness of the line, form is emptiness, from the Heart Sutra. Form is emptiness doesn't mean that form has been forced to turn into emptiness, nor does it mean that emptiness has been divided up to become form. 
It's emptiness that is empty even of emptiness. This conversation is a series of questions and answers about the Buddha nature as emptiness and about the Buddha nature as existence. And that is the end of part one, so I'd like to see what I can say about that. Okay, so this is a complicated chapter, and as Nishimaroshi said in his introduction, uh, this idea of the Buddha nature is not something that we acquire. It's not an innate ability that we have, uh, that we have to uh, nurture and grow. It's not the idea of an eternal soul. This is one of those ideas that a lot of people uh, these days get concerned about. They say that Buddha nature is this attempt by Mahayana Buddhism to return the idea of the eternal soul back into Buddhism. Uh, well, it may be uh, depending on whose version of Buddha nature you're listening to, but in Dogen's version of Buddha nature, that is not what we're talking about at all. So uh, one of the best quotes uh, right here in the beginning is, exactly this moment can never be expressed in words. So he's already setting himself up for something impossible uh, that he can't really do, and he's going to try. I am, um, in, in, when I said Bodhidharma, first brought the Zen teachings from India to China and transmitted to his four, his four students. Uh, that's, Dogen actually writes that a lot longer and gives the example, but everybody would understand what it meant in those days probably, but maybe contemporary people wouldn't, so I just made that like that. Uh, and I mentioned that line uh, when I said, there is nobody here but you. The usual translation is there is no second person at all. There's always something about a second person. Uh, that is an interesting idea because a lot of people kind of read that and think, oh, Buddhism is a kind of solipsism. It's not exactly that. It is that there is... Solipsism is the idea that me, my personal self, is the only thing in the universe and everything is just an invented by me, my personal self. Buddhism isn't like that. Buddhism takes the idea that your personal self is non-existent. There is only one thing in the universe, one sort of mind in the universe, and that mind doesn't belong to you at all. Uh, but it is exactly identical with you. <laughs> so it's pretty tricky stuff. But that's what that means. At least that's what I think it means. Uh, he, he throws away this idea of the eternal soul. I, in the original, it says something about the teachings of Seneca or Shrenica, depending on, or Shrek, who knows, uh, depending on which translation. It's not really Shrek, but Seneca or Shrenica sometimes. But this is a person, I haven't been able to trace whether it was an actual person or not, but Dogen always puts up Seneca as his, uh, his sort of... Um, go-to example of a guy who thought that Buddhism was all about an eternally immortal soul that lived inside your body and left it when it died. Uh, he brings it up in several of his writings. But I just skipped over all the Seneca stuff and, and just uh, gave you what I think it means. Uh, another line that I like is, he says, uh, the Buddha nature is like, he talks about these people who he says are getting it wrong, who, who say the Buddha nature is like a seed, as the rain of Dharma falls upon it, it grows and bears delicious fruit and delightful flowers, he calls that sentimental fluff. Uh, and then he says, if you must think of it that way, at least understand that the flowers and fruits they're talking about are all each instances of the real mind, pure and naked, just as, as it is. So even if you talk about it in terms of development, each stage of that development is the naked mind just as it is. So the, the idea that it, it develops over time 
is in Dogen's view a mistake because time is something that is at least not what we think it is. There's a lot of stuff about Dogen's understanding of time. Best book uh, for, for my money about Dogen's understanding of time is called Each Moment is the Universe by Dining Katagiri. Uh, there's also a book called Being Time by Shinshu Roberts that uh, goes into Dogen's writings about time. That's also good. Uh, so go look at those. There is a little thing here I'll mention just in passing because I don't really understand the controversy where Dogen brings up Hongaku which is original awakening and there's a whole lot of controversy over Hongaku and only Buddhist scholars can can follow the controversy believe me I have tried but uh, Dogen Dogen has a, a funny thing he, 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 does, he doesn't really believe in this idea of Hongaku which is original awakening because it, 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 I think it was supposed to mean that we are awakened whether we notice it or not but it tended to mean in when people used it an, an original awakening that happening way back there you know a long time ago original awakening happened and it's not this moment well for Dogen everything is this moment uh, also there is a, a bunch of stuff about reflecting this comes up a lot in Dogen's writings there's the idea of the mirror mind that reflects everything just as it is so he talks about reflecting real-time causes and circumstances. The idea is just to reflect life exactly as it is. Of course, easier said than done, but getting to the point where you become a reflection of the world rather than in impeding the world. That's the idea. Uh, he quotes Asvagosa, mountains, rivers, and the earth, all of it are made. The it he's talking about is, is Buddha nature. And uh, I think that's pretty clear, so I'm going to skip that. I do love this story about the little kid who says, I've got a name, but it's not a regular name. Uh, there's a footnote in Nishijima Roshi's Shobogenzo about how this, this idea of Zen Master Daimon being the successor of Master Dai-e, uh, apparently, because of the ages of each individual person, it... it uh, it's hard to make one the the dharma heir of the other and i forget how it goes and that maybe this story of the reincarnation was made up to cover that uh, that gap but still it's a nice story and it says something and you don't have to take it as being literally true this is another place where dogen talks about somebody who gets uh, reborn and of course i've written about this a lot when i've talked about dogen's views of reincarnation there are places where he seems to just flatly refute it and there are places where he talks about uh, people being reborn and i think this is like the the um, contradictions in all of dogen's work it uh, it's a contradiction and he lets it stand as a contradiction He's literally telling you that you will absolutely not be reborn. You're, when you're dead, you stay dead, and that's it. And he's telling you that you're going to be reborn as something else in the future after you die. And he leaves those contradictions exactly as they are. He doesn't try to resolve them. Now, this stuff about uh, what's your name, and he says the ancient masters often said a person of what country or a person of what name. Uh, I didn't go to check that exactly, but often when Dogen is, is translated as saying what in the Nishijima and Cross translation, he's using this word inmo, uh, which is a word that kind of is sometimes translated by Nishijima and Cross again as the ineffable, uh, sometimes translated by others as suchness. 
so it's a word that literally means what or something or uh, you know something you don't have a name for but he's saying reality is beyond anything we can call it so any any description we have of reality is not reality itself and of course when I said even a name like Mr. Jones is like that he actually uses a China name a Chinese name I think it's Shou or Li I can't remember but you know I just changed it to Jones it doesn't really matter so there you go those are my little uh, liner notes on the thing uh, I will do the next part next time on this podcast remember that the podcast is supported by your donations so go to hardcorezen.info slash donate that is hardcorezen.info slash donate and you will see links to my patreon and paypal and that's the way you can send me a donation i really appreciate those donations if you become a patreon member you will actually get to look at this and read it yourself and keep it and print it out or whatever you want to do with it uh, don't publish it but uh, you know you can you can have it and have fun with it so that's uh, a little perk to become a patreon member so i really uh, appreciate your support and as i always say in my videos have a good time all the time. See you later and bye.